everybody to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast, brought to you by the Amador Whiskey Company. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, typically joined by Big Kurt. Big Kurt is on location for this specific podcast, but that's okay. I got somebody hosting with me, and that is Thor Nystrom of Fantasy Pros and Betting Pros. Thor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jeff. Good to be with you. Great to have you on on a scale of 1% to 1,000%. How excited are you to be on the Eyes on Big podcast? 1,001%. We we went up. We went up. That is fantastic. fantastic. All right. We're going to jump right into it. Thor is long on NFL draft knowledge, but short on time. This is going to be a quick podcast, so I want to get right into it. Thor, so... I consider myself a a draft novice, okay? My goal is every year at the draft, if I find myself at a bar and there's two dudes sitting next to me talking about the NFL draft, I want to be able to jump in, you know, and be able to feel like I can hold my own in that conversation. So, But I simply am not up to your level of knowledge with this. That's obviously why we have you on the podcast. I've got a couple theories and thoughts that I want to throw out to you, you know, and then a couple takes. But after that, you take you take it with where you will. And tell me how wrong I am. In some cases, I'm I'm obviously very open to that. Um, so the first thing I, I want to put out is, you know, just by looking into it, it seems to me that there's a lot of this is the first question is kind of a broad overview, and then we'll get into maybe more Big Ten specific questions. But the first kind of broad over one overview is if we went out the top 10, 15 picks in this draft, you know, like let's say the 12th pick. To me, that seems like a guy that would be more the 24th or 25th pick in previous drafts that seem to have more of the top end talent. How accurate do you think that is? I, I think it's accurate. I you know I, I don't know about that exact same delineation point, but I, I was talking with someone on the telephone earlier today about how I wouldn't want to pick in the 20s of this draft. You know, it's vis-a-vis the Vikings pick, of course, but like, you know, whether, you know, I was sitting in 23 or any of those slots around there. I would either, if I'm not going to try a wild trade up, I, you know, so, someone that I love would absolutely be trading down. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, would be trading out of the round. Cause comment I made to this guy was, I don't think the 40 to 60 guys in this draft are too much different qualitatively than the 20 to 39 guys. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. The late first round of this draft is not as you know high level quality as we've seen in recent years. And actually, you beat me to my next question, which is: Is there then value to get once you get into the second round? It sounds like you think that's the case. So really, if somebody's picking early in the first round and early in the second round, one would think they're going to get two pretty good players. Um, to yeah. kind of illustrate on that, I'll use a specific player. Uh, somebody that's near and dear to my heart, which is Iowa Edge Lucas Van Ness. Um, he's really good. Okay. Like, obviously, I, I believe he is a very good football player. I don't know if he would be floating around eight to 12 uh, in most drafts. Like, I, I think he's, in my mind, a really good three, four edge as a run force, you know, uh, a more of a run stopping four, three defensive end can definitely have skills to get to the quarterback. Is he kind of a good example of somebody that's maybe going to benefit from this draft on where he's going to get picked? I think so. Yeah, yeah, I, I think he's a good example of that. And yeah, in a, in a really good draft, you would prefer him to be 
you know, low 20 or, you know, mid 20s or, or, or whatever, some some pick in the 20s, just on the, the dice roll on the upside. And, you know, that there's certainly some of the, the utility is there just apparently right off the bat, like speed to power monster. But like this stuff, we want to see him. It's like the kid can throw the ball 102 miles per hour with that that speed to power stuff in the ball rush, like just a fabulous ball rusher. But you want to see him develop the counter moves off of it. Right, because like if the offensive tackle every single time has to sit back in the batter's box w- with his hands choked up, you you want to have the change up to then you know get it by him or the breaking pitches and whatever. And the more he can do that, the more his game's going to flower out. But you know th- that's where the projection of this thing gets in. But in this class, the ceiling alone could be enough to drag him. You know whether it's the eight, nine, ten in there or he's not going to fall into the twenties in my opinion, you know, and again, that's just a part of the function of the class. Interesting. Okay. And then hot button topic that is just going crazy right now. You're probably sick of talking about it, but this is a big 10 podcast. So we got to jump into it. CJ Stroud. uh, And then it's kind of a CJ Stroud versus Bryce young thing is, is kind of how it seems to have gotten into it. So, you know, when I think of CJ Stroud, the first thing I think of is how all these years uh, at one point, you know, I don't know, 20 years ago, it was all about if that quarterback had a cannon, you know, of an arm. Then at some point you heard a lot of people breaking down quarterbacks, quarterback gurus saying, you know, really it's the accuracy that you should look at with these quarterbacks, right? Brother, I have never seen a quarterback that I've watched be more accurate than CJ Stroud. There, there are throws that he makes that I don't think he could run down the field and handed the ball to the receiver any better than he does. You know, and then compared to to Bryce Young, who I think is good, don't get me wrong, he's just a bigger version of Bryce Young. You know, Bryce Young, I like his game too, don't but but smaller. What am I missing here? Why does there seem to be so much flack coming against CJ Stroud? Is it really because of some goofy S2 score that didn't go as well as people think it should have gone? Yeah, there's some there's some truth to to some of the stuff that's coming out, and I think there's a lot of it is BS. Like I've had CJ Stroud number two as a number two quarterback and the number two overall player on my board since we started the draft process. I ain't budging off of that. Like that the the part of it where where there's truth is half of the NFL teams have contracts with that S two company, and they actually value that. You know, particularly at the quarterback position in terms of process and the information quick. And then some of those people that got that test result, they were ostensibly, perhaps just through helmet scouting alone, uh, trepidatious about this, you know, guy coming out of the Ohio State system. Uh, that was something that Justin Fields had to fight his entire process. And he, Justin Fields, erroneously fell to, was it 12 or whatever with the Bears? Justin Fields is another guy. I had him at number two on my board from the start, from bell to whistle, right from the start of that process all the way through and. I didn't care. Like, you know, if the NFL wanted to let him fall to 12, I didn't, I didn't care. And obviously I, I stand by that decision. Same thing here with CJ Stroud. They're, they're of course, different kind of quarterbacks. But what I find so ironic about this is the biggest nitpick on CJ Stroud's evaluation coming into the process, it was that he was too dogmatic sitting back there in the pocket to go through his progressions as opposed to on some plays leaving the pocket, using his legs, or just all right trying to steal yards as a runner. And so you you go from that nitpick to all of a sudden like, <laughs> oh, he scored low on this S2 test. So he can't, you know, like the, the the implication being that he can't go through the progressions. It's like, 
that was the opposite criticism that you had of him a month ago. So, like, you have to pick one or the other on that. I, like, you know, he is going to face a transition going to the NFL in terms of, like, it's the field's going to be more condensed, and he's going to have to throw it into more crowded uh, situations and stuff like that. Obviously, you're not going to have Garrett Wilson and Olave and Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. running against inferior athletes. But to your point, like, first of all, we've seen him do the, the progression thing throughout his career. we also seen him uh, under duress against that Georgia defense was absolutely fabulous. And then to what you were talking about earlier, certainly the best accuracy in the placement in this class. Like I, I think of him a little bit differently than Bryce Young. I think of Bryce Young as the creator. And then, you know, can I, I interject? Do you, you said you had uh, Stroud number two overall. Do you have him number two overall behind Bryce Young? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I see Bryce Young as, as the creator. He's a guy who doesn't want the like he doesn't want to be told where he's going with the ball before it's snapped. He will come up with the answers in the moment, and that's why he likes to have more field to to work around with, scramble around, uh, you know, more sort of surface area with that, extend the play a little bit, and then he'll make the the correct uh, snapping decision. Whereas CJ Stroud is the best facilitator in this class. He's going to survey the field, the concept that you give him. He's going to run it to perfection. What you know, whether or not the first second option are are taken off the table. Fine. He going to the third one across the field, something that we never saw, for instance, Hendon Hooker do, um, you know, some of these different guys where they come out of systems where it, the field was cleaved in half. Um, Stroud will go across the progression, but he running your concept for you. And he does a fabulous job with it, in part because of that trick shot accuracy. Yeah. You know, he's like Paul Newman from The Hustler, right. you know, with, 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 with some of these different nope. trick shots he does, where it's just like it looks like a glitch. When you're watching it on TV, like how the hell did he get it through? Yeah. Like over the top of the one guy dropping in, in there, and you know, then in stride, the other dude? in stride. That is that is the stuff that is amazing. And you know, one of the things I heard was that he's he's not going to have receivers to throw to at the next level that he did at Ohio State. Now that's not true. The, the, the receiving core in his next place will probably be eerily similar in talent to what he had at Iowa state. It's just that the DVs and the defenses are going to be dialed in that much closer. But I guess what I'm saying Correct. is that, that, that is, that is nitpicking to an nth degree. And then another one real quickly. I mean, I've heard something goofy as not liked by his teammates or not as big of a leader. And man, I, every time I've seen that kid interviewed, I've loved him, you know, like he, he's, he's very thankful of, of, of his teammates and where he's at. Um, never have heard anything, any issues, you know, character issues up until literally the last three days, man, this just, it's just all sounds like a bunch of BS, BS to me. Nor have I, by the way, uh, I've only heard the opposite. And I, I can give you one example of that. CJ Stroud, he did like, he was a five-star quarterback coming out of California, ironically in the same class as Bryce Young. The third one in that class out of California, five-star quarterback was DJ Uagalele, whose career is not gone like those first two. But but CJ Stroud was different than them two guys in that he didn't come from a lot of money. You know, a single parent house. They they were living like in this like thing in a, like a warehouse uh, in like under the mountains in in California. He didn't CJ Stroud did not have the resources in his family to get the private QB tutoring and right. different stuff like that. So he taught himself a lot of this stuff. Then he goes to Ohio State and and he has the success early on gets the NIL deals. He he starts to hand out, I think it was like $500, $1,000 gift cards to every one of his teammates after he started get, getting the, right. the NIL money. 
you don't see other kids that are selfish or that are not liked by their teammates doing stuff like that. Agreed. I haven't heard one of his teammates come out and say that I, I didn't like playing with that kid. I think that's a bunch of BS by presumably put out by teams that are interested okay. in CJ Stroud to get him to fall. If it's a gamesmanship thing, I kind of respect that a little bit. If it's somebody being an awful person, that's awful because I'm not even an Ohio State fan and I want to stand up for the kid. Last thing on quarterbacks, you got a your GM door, you got a top six pick, and you need a quarterback. Are you taking Will Levis? No, uh, no, Levis is. So I have the other three quarterbacks, one, two, three, on my board. Um, as far as as Levis, I have him fifteenth overall on my board. Like I would take a shot at some point in the first round if I needed a quarterback, but not in the top five, which okay. is where this team has him going right now. It seems like he's going to be a top four pick, uh, but no, n- not me. Uh, it, I don't like the quarterbacks where the circumstance changes and they're game creators. You know, twenty twenty one, he was great. But people got to keep in mind, yeah, it was Kentucky, but they had an awesome offensive line that year. He was working with Wandale Robinson that year, in addition to the the guys that had come back. Um, and then Rodriguez, he had him the entire season. Uh, last year, Rodriguez was suspended for the first month. Wandale Robinson's in the NFL. And I think three of those offensive linemen from that line had gone on to the NFL. All of a sudden, his, his game starts cratering uh, when he was under duress this is my biggest issue with this game is he doesn't have the pocket presence, doesn't sense that pass rush. He either gets sacked, which uh, an enormous percentage of his under pressure uh, 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 reps or whatever ended up in sacks. But the ones where he does get the ball out when he's under duress, he makes super wonky decisions with the ball and he eschews his mechanics even more than he does in clean pockets, which is the other problem with him is it's not that he doesn't know how to throw mechanically sound, it's just that in the pocket, he's super nonchalant with it, and he doesn't really care about it. You'll see him in totally clean pockets. He doesn't set his feet, doesn't square it, you know the, the shoulders to the target, and he'll just flick the ball, you know, sort of like uh, Uncle Rico from, <laughs> from Napoleon Dynamite. It's just, he, you know, Will Levis has that golden arm, but he has to learn to throw with the mechanics. But where the bridge becomes too far for me is when you've seen him panic under pressure so often in college, particularly last season when the offensive line wasn't as good, how can you? You trust that when you go to the next level, he's going to be mechanically sound repping and rep out. That's that's what I don't see about him. But enough arm talent where I would take a shot, just roll of the dice in the middle of the first round. So that's the granular look at Will Levis. Here, here's here's my view. The coaches and the offensive coaches at Penn State, they're not dummies, and he couldn't beat out Sean Clifford. Okay, I got I got an issue with that, and he puts mayonnaise in his coffee. Can't trust the guy. Can't trust the guy, Thor. All right. And and eats bananas with the peel on. That I can get with a little bit more than the mayonnaise and the coffee. (laughs) Um, Not that that I practice it. I don't don't want to put that out there. Um, One more Ohio State take. Okay. JSN, Jackson Smith and Jimba. I love the the guy. One of the knocks I've I've heard about him, he's just a slot receiver. Well, it sure seems to me that a pretty high percentage of NFL teams run uh, uh, plays from the slot. I don't know, 80% of the time, maybe more than that. Having a slot receiver that's as filthy as he is, those those numbers he put up in the combine for, for short area, you know, um, uh, combine numbers in the shuttle were absolutely incredible. I know he doesn't run a 4-3-2. By the way, if you look up stats, most of the best receivers of all time are right around that high 4-4, low 4-5 range. I love JSN. He is a slot assassin. He's always open. He always catches the ball. It's another Ohio State guy that seems to be getting dogged. 
Yeah, no, I, I I agree with all that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think of him as a as a smooth transition to the slot. I wouldn't screw around, especially early in his career, with trying to play him on the outside. But like you're you're alluding to, the concept is proven there, and that's becoming a valuable position in the NFL. He's going to get a metric ton of targets year one, and he's going to convert them into a metric ton of catches and yards. Uh, you know, the the one. Basically, he's an efficiency monster where you have to trade off for some of the explosion is probably the better way to look at him than, you know, the, the whole slot versus boundary debate. You get him in the slot, especially if you have him playing next to a guy that can pop the top of the defense, scare the defense over the top, where the defense has to play the, the, the safety on that side back. You open up all this intermediate space for him, and he dominates in that. You've seen it on film. 2021, one of the best receiver seasons that, that we've seen in recent years in college football. It's and, like it's you know, ancient history. It's like it's ancient yeah. history to people. It's well, crazy. there was some scouts that were concerned that he was he was, you know, after he had the injury initially last year that he was sort of sitting out because he wanted to sit out like he wanted to sort of sit on the 2021 stuff. What what I wonder about that is we've seen the the Iowa Ohio State game uh last last season. Jackson Smith and Jigba did not need to come back for that. He could have just shut the whole thing down. And he comes out and plays in that game and clearly was not right. Nope. He was not moving around like the old Jack Smith and Jigba. To me, it seemed like the opposite. Like he was trying to hurry back and play. And then he re-aggravates the thing. And then you don't see him again. I don't really believe that stuff about how he was healthy, but he didn't want to play. In large part because I seen that that Ohio State-Iowa game when he probably shouldn't have been out there, but was anyway. I can tell you people that that dog on guys nursing a hamstring injury are people who never had a hamstring injury. Unfortunately, yeah. I was riddled by those things. They're horrible. Uh, put you on the spot here a little bit. My guy, Brian at Vegas Sportsbook guy, he sets the over-under for Big Ten first-rounders at nine. Are you going over or under that number? Let me count. Stuff. I should have I probably let you know ahead of time. Let me see. Six, seven... Eight, I think I had eight in my last one, but I had Dewan Jones at the thirty-third pick. I think okay. I had a couple guys that were were right it's outside close. of there. Mozzie Smith too has got a better shot, I think, to go in round one than yep. than people think. I know the teams are targeting him potentially trading out of the first round, and then you move into the top of the second. Um, Mozzie Smith, interestingly, he ducked the agility drills in his in his pre-draft process when. Bruce Feldman had reported when he put Mozzie Smith as the number one freak over last summer in, in his annual freak comp, he, he had reported these just ludicrous uh, three cone and, and, and short shuttle times for Mozzie Smith. And then Mozzie Smith pulled himself out of those two healthy uh, this spring, which I thought was really interesting, but I like, I, I don't read too much into that. It's, it's more a piece of curiosity for me there. This defensive tackle class falls off a shelf real quick and Mozzie Smith is this enormous kid, you know, approaching 330 pounds. And we know he's an athletic freak, whether he did those agility drills or not. So, he, like I said, he's going to go a little bit higher than people think just because the NFL knows that DT class falls off a shelf. And even the guys at the top, you got wonky profiles on them. Like that Kansi kid, you love him with the gap shooting and obviously a very good athlete, but he's not a fit for three, four teams. He has the wingspan of a gnat. He's tiny, he has <laughs> tiny hands. So he has to be a 4-3-3 technique. Um, and then like Brian Brisset, I would be terrified of taking that kid in like in the top 25. Like at a certain point, you know, like the 26th pick to the 40th pick, like somewhere in there, 
for sure. Like you're just going to, you're going to take a swing on the upside, but a kid that, that really struggled to stay on the field in college. And at this point has an extensive history of whether it's injuries, whether it's illnesses, different stuff like that. So like he would be tough, but Mozzie Smith, you know, when you compare him to the rest of his class, I think that's why he's going to go a little bit higher than people think. But yeah, maybe I would shade it under that number that you gave me, but by the smallest of margins. Okay. We're going to go lightning round. You ready? Yeah. We're going to go all Big Ten guys. I'm going to throw out at you, try to keep it to around 30 seconds or so, and then we'll go from there. Northwestern offensive tackle, Peter Skaronsky. A little grabby, maybe? Uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, against the long power guys, for sure. I mean, it, and those are the guys, the trump card guys that you're trying to keep them away from in the NFL. To me, he is a clean, uh, th- one of the cleaner projections from tackle to guard that you're ever going to see. I, I think he's going to be a stud at guard immediately, but I wouldn't screw around with him at tackle. E- even when you compare him to the guards in this class, I believe he had the lowest wingspan at the NFL combine in the guard group. So I want him inside, but I think he's going to be an awesome guard. Staying at tackle, Ohio State offensive tackle, Paris Johnson Jr. He's got the smoothest feet in this class. Uh, like the the technique is sound, and you've seen him. Like he's reliable. You know, he's, you've seen him protecting the the blind side for Stroud that entire time. He has the length, he has the feet, he has the athleticism. I trust that kid for sure. Like since I have Skaronsky at guard, Paris Johnson is my number one tackle in this class. Qualitatively, they're very close, but very different kind of players. Paris Johnson going to be starting at left tackle in the NFL for a long time. Staying with the juniors, Penn State cornerback Joey Porter Jr. I love Joey Porter Jr. Joey Porter Jr. should be talked about. He should have been talked about the way Christian Gonzalez was. Joey Porter Jr. is a better outside press man corner than Christian Gonzalez, but Christian Gonzalez, he he got all the the ink and everybody talking about him because he has that freaky athletic profile. But the difference, well, there's two major differences between in, in my opinion, number one, the length and the use of the length. Joey Porter Jr., he's like a funnel or he's like the, I, I think of him like the pulley on the train track where it decides which track the train's going to go down. When you come off the line, Joey Porter decides where you're going next. And he gets you towards the boundary all the time where he just cuts off your oxygen over there. They, they just stop throwing at the kid. The other thing is the instincts. Christian Gonzalez, my issue with him is when he has to trade you down the field back, to the ball he so rarely gets his head around and that's why he he allows all these completions where he's right on the doorstep of the receiver at the catch point you can throw the receiver open who's against christian gonzalez because christian gonzalez even though he close he ain't gonna snap his head around make a play on the ball joey porter jr is very natural at that and then of course he's better at, against the run too he's got that enormous tackle radius and he's super aggressive that runs in the jeans i love joey porter jr i have him cornerback two in this class but also number eight overall on my board Wow, Thor loving the JPJ. Maryland quarterback Deontay Banks. Does the film match the the amazing combine results? It it does in terms of stickiness in coverage. Like he he's about, you know, like in terms of the fluidity of the movement that in the high octane athleticism, that all plays, you know, staying with his his guy down the field. He doesn't have the exact same thing as Gonzalez about failing to get the head around, but it's way closer to Gonzalez in terms of that than Porter. Like if Deontay Banks could ever figure out how to make like smooth plays on the ball at the catch point, get his head around, get in position, make plays on it. His game is going to take an enormous leap. That's really the only thing that you're concerned about with him. That I mean, he's going to stick with you in man coverage. There ain't no one who's a good enough athlete to shake that kid. He just needs to improve those ball skills and the instincts with that. But yeah, I mean, like just with that profile, he worth a, t- a top 20, 25 pick in this draft for sure. 
Same question of the film matching the combine for Northwestern Edge Addy Addy. I can't say the name, so I just oh, uh, it down. Out of, uh, yeah, we we had to practice this a whole bunch of work. Out of Tomway, out of Bar, out of Buare. I'm still I still got uh, 48 hours to work on that one. <laughs> um, he 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 has really fun tape. You know, he's just like this kinetic ball of energy, and obviously the the freak athlete and everything. I'm not sure that Northwestern deployed him correctly. But then I say that, and I'm not exactly sure if I was an NFL team how I would deploy him. But I do know I really like that kid. Athletes like that, they go they go in the first round. And typically, they go high in the first round. His tape is inconsistent enough where I think it's going to be late end of the first round. But you look around the mocks, not a lot of them have Adebuare in the first round. My final mock draft will have Adebuare in those last three, four, five picks of the first round yep. just because the NFL doesn't allow athletes like that to get out of the first round. And and he he's such an interesting ball of clay too because, yeah, he's a little bit on the smaller, you know, shorter, and 280-something in terms of the weight, but he has these ludicrously long arms. And, and so that in the athletic package that you're getting, for me, that that's a late first-round guy. Even, like I said, with some of those inconsistency inconsistencies on tape, but you have to bake him with him. He was in a bad situation, too, at Northwestern, just like all those other kids who were coming out. They had a couple of really good players on the Northwestern team, but Pat Fitzgerald, the rest of the roster, obviously was not recruiting very well or whatever. So Adebuare had to take on a lot of the you know impetus for the uh, pass rush and different stuff like that. Um, getting to the NFL with NFL coaching, I think, is really going to help that kid. Plus, putting him in a delineated spot of we're going to develop you here. Is that as a, a three technique for a four three team? Is that as a, a three four defensive end? You know, how is that going to work out? But one way or the other, that kid, I think he's going to succeed in the NFL because of that athleticism and a super smart kid too. All right, we'll go super lightning round. See if I can actually keep you to the twenty to thirty second range here. Iowa tight end Sam Laporta. Oh, love, love Sam Laporta. He, yak monster. Uh, 24 missed tackles last year. Was number five in the PFF uh, charting era over the last nine years. And he's a first down and touchdown monster. Two-thirds of his catches uh, the last two years went for one or the other. And Jeff, as, as you know, coming out of the rancid environment that he did, that is super impressive. <laughs> Iowa was 130th out of 131 teams last year in scoring. I think they only had 18, 19 offensive touchdowns, four players in the FBS had more than that individually. Sam Laporta was the only reason they moved the ball here these past couple years and his game is going to shoot up in the NFL once he has a quarterback to hit him on the hands. I think he is a doppelganger of Owen Daniels and I think he's going to have a, a very similar career in the NFL. Michigan center Olu Olu. He's good. He's a little bit on the smaller side. What, what you're behooved about with him is succeeded in the ACC at Virginia from an early age. Then he goes to Michigan and he was really good last year too. I think some of the college athletes accolades maybe flattered him a little bit but you can't flatter like the the you know what you've seen from the production there terms terms of mitigating the sacks and you know he, he ain't gonna bull anyone over in the run game but he at least knows the technical aspect of it you know getting his hat on the play side getting the the hips shuffled around the feet shuffled around to seal people off and stuff like that i think he's gonna have a really long nfl career the only thing i wonder about is does he have the ceiling there to become a pro bowl center in the nfl Nebraska wide receiver Trey Palmer. No, Trey Palmer, I got the most crap about with my my comp on my my 500 player, you know, board with all the comps yesterday, and it wasn't because it's an inaccurate comp. It was because it was too accurate of a comp for the Trey Palmer believers. Like you could tell it, it really hurt them. He is Jalen Ragor. It's the same friggin' thing. They're they're about the same, you know, physical dimensions. They both have ludicrous explosion and everything like that. 
and they both lack ball skills. Uh, Trey Palmer, they tried him on punt returns, different stuff like that. Uh, he, he would have issues fielding some of the balls just like uh, Ray Gord did. And last year in Nebraska, they funneled a whole bunch of touches to him, which I would have too. And he did a lot of damage with the ones that he corralled in. But there was just an excess amount of drops because of those issues at the catch point. If he ever figures that out, uh, his, ga- his game will rock it up. But if I, he never figures that out, he it can be like Ragor. I couldn't figure out why he was so low. That's that's the best explanation I've heard. Last one, wide receiver, Purdue wide receiver, Charlie Jones. Oh, yeah. Charlie Jones, he's underrated. Like, you know, I think like in terms of in the NFL, I would just put him at slot. We'll see if he could handle any of the outside stuff. But for me, I would just be put him in the slot. But I think he's going to be a fabulous slot. The the routes speak for themselves, and his hands are so dang reliable. Anything that was thrown at him last year, he was catching. I just want to keep him out of the trump card matchups where someone could just physically shut off the lights on him. Joey Porter Jr. did that last year. Get Get, you know just had him in hell for 60 minutes. But like, you know, assuming that you can put him in the slot, he ain't going to get pressed as, as much by those super duper long guys. He's going to beat him along the route, create some separation and he's real on the ball. And if you put it in his kitchen, I got two questions left. Hopefully we can get them in uh, one or two big sleepers meeting big 10 sleepers. Me thinks Evan hole is one yeah. of your favorite ones. Yeah. Evan hole. I put right on the top of the list, super underrated athlete, 92nd or 93rd percentile, per, you know, that he did during the, the uh, pre, draft process size adjusted athletic composite at 209 pounds one of the most diverse receiving weapons in this class you can deploy him in the slide can deploy him out wide also of course out of the backfield and an underrated runner too there there was a lot of times he was facing the penetration right after he got the ball behind the line of scrimmage he learned to figure out a path for that learned to denote that it was happening get lateral juddered around the edge and stuff he's going to be a steal in the draft on day three i think all right, this last one, you can go as far as you want. This is for my Illinois listeners since Kurt couldn't join us. But Illinois quarterback Devin Witherspoon, safety Sidney Brown, um, and then also I would throw in Jack Campbell and John Michael Smiths, Minnesota center. I have known these players were elite for, for years, and it's been incredible watching these NFL scouts, quote-unquote experts, discover these guys over the last three or four months I, any any time you would have turned on the film on any one of those teams illinois iowa or minnesota with those guys you would understand how amazing they are I, I don't know anything you want to add on how it is that guys that good can go under the cover with people that i would think uh would be you know paying more attention well, I think I think with Witherspoon, it was he had to overcome the circumstances that just he was a zero star recruit coming out. You know, part of that was because he was small. Part of it was because he didn't academically qualify. The other part was he didn't pick football up again until his junior year of high school. But it was interesting. His first year back as a junior, he wins the starting safety job. And then the next year, you know, he goes to cornerback, but he has played the cornerback position in part like a safety ever since. He just attacks like downhill. He's coming. He doesn't know how small he is. He throws his body around, stuff like that. Really, really good in run defense. And then he's the stickiest cover corner in this class. You just can't get rid of the kid. And he shut out the lights on everybody uh, this past season. Uh, I have him number six on my board, I think. Um, he should be talked about amongst the top three overall defenders in this class. Uh so, yeah, I think he was underrated coming in. Sidney Brown was a guy whose game jumped up last season, was obviously always a good athlete, just like his brother Chase. But you were wondering before, like, you know, is, is he just a strong safety? Can you trust him with the coverage responsibility, playing him deep by himself, you know, different stuff like that. And his game jumped up in, in, in all those aspects uh, this past season. Obviously, he proved the concept of the athleticism. 
I have him as a top five safety, maybe even number four on my safety list. So I I really like him. He impressed us too when we were down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. And then Jack Campbell, he's under Jack Campbell underrated too. Jack Campbell should be linebacker one unanimously in this class. He was the best linebacker on the field. What the last I've mostly been amazed with Jack by Campbell's, margin. What I what I can't believe is that they're a shock to see that he's athletically gifted. Like again, yeah. like the guy was a quarterback in high school. I know I'm showing my iowa fandom here it's just been amazing watching these people discover that he can actually put two feet in front of the other yeah and the best the best coverage linebacker in this class now we haven't seen him as much in man of course that's the caveat you put with all the iowa defenders coming out because they run the zone heavy uh system whatnot but super duper clever he has those long levers where he can disrupt the the passing lane stuff like that reads the quarterbacks like a book i mean you saw him pick uh cj stroud's pocket last year just as one example of this and he also has the movement. So at least in zone, we know he's going to be a fabulous uh, uh, coverage linebacker at the next level. The the man stuff, I ain't going to put past him because of the athletic profile, whatnot, and, and the work we've seen on him. And then against the run, I mean, like, he has great range. The, the athleticism speaks for itself. He's always in the right position. He always triggers immediately. He doesn't need much information. And, and he, he's diagnosed the play correctly. And he's going to the right spot. And then when he gets on the doorstep, he's so reliable as a tackler. So for me, I, I don't even know why this is a question for people. The only thing that Drew Sanders has on him, as I joked on Twitter, it was pass rushing and missing tackles. <laughs> okay, strong word. So last, last question, I promise. One of my favorite things to rip a certain fan base on Twitter is Iowa state fans. And the fact that they've gone 50 years without a first rounder Thor, am I still going to be able to make fun of Iowa state fans about this late Thursday night or Friday? Uh, well, that one's going to come down to Will McDonald and Will McDonald could sneak in. Like in my last mock draft, I had him going to the chiefs at 31. The chiefs need an edge rusher because Frank Clark booked it out of town. He's in play for them. And a couple of those other teams at the very end of the first if he gets out of there, um, he's going to go right away on Friday night. That one is about as coin flip as you can get. He yeah. is right on that line between the first and the second round. Proved the concept of the athleticism during the pre-draft process. Was obviously a monster when he was at Iowa State. A Big Ten or Big Twelve tackles are very happy he's moved on to the next level. But yeah, that one you can flip a coin. I think Brees Hall was thirty third last year, oh, which was dad. just salt on the wound. If they can do it twice. In a row, it would be fantastic. I don't have a lot of faith. I think he's going to go uh, in the last couple picks. Thor, that was incredible. I think we packed about as much information into a 30-minute podcast as we can. You got anything else you want to pump uh, before we get out of here? Uh, check out my stuff on Fantasy Pros. The, the top 500 board is out there. We make it in tables so that people can just print it out, bring it to their draft party, and cross off the names as we go. 500 comps on, on those guys. So that that's how I check that out on Fantasy Pros. Thor, thank you so much for joining us. For Big Kurt, who couldn't join us, I am Jeffrey DeGree. This has been the Eyes on Big Podcast, and we'll talk to you soon.